The Athletic. Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show brought to you by The Athletic UK. And today we're going to be looking back at Fulham's goalless draw against Wayne Rooney's Derby County. They are the rules. It's Wayne Rooney's Derby County. Hang on, it's Wayne Rooney's brave Derby County, isn't it? It is indeed, Jack. It is indeed. The winning run comes to an end, but the unbeaten run continues. That's what we'll now refer to. It was uh, an interesting game. Fulham struck down by illness pre-match. Much more on that in today's podcast. We're also going to be chatting Tosin Adarabayo and looking ahead to Preston North End on Saturday. It was definitely the uh, the south end of several Fulham players that was uh, going wrong in the last few days. And here on the Thursday Club today, I've got Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, listeners. I love that, Sammy. That was excellent. Really good. Off the cuff. Really good, really impressed. Well done, lad. And Peter Rutzler, hello. I wasn't off the cuff, was it? Come on. <laughs> off the cuff, I promise you. I promise you off the cuff. That's why the rest of the intro is a little bit monotone, because my brain was whirring. Anyway, thank you for listening today. Uh, before we start, got to say that The Athletic right now is running an outrageous deal that you need to get on. A Black Friday deal that is running until Sunday the 28th of November. If you want to sign up to The Athletic, there has never been a better time. One pound a month for 12 months. You get Peter's brilliant articles. And let me tell you, someone else who's been working hard this week is Peter Rutzler. There are so many articles left, right and centre uh, firing out of his fingertips. And also you get ad free versions of this podcast, plus all the other brilliant writing on The Athletic. Get it now before Sunday. And the link is theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod. If you want to get that deal, one pound a month for 12 months, you cannot beat it. Right. Let's get into the game. Let's do some three word reviews before we do. Jack Collins, what are the best ones that came through? Oh, we had some, some very good ones. I enjoyed most of the ones that are about poo, um, <laughs> which, which, to be honest, was quite a lot of them. But I really did enjoy that everyone was, you know, really going for the feces puns. That were the, that's, that's what I enjoy most. Um, but we're going to try and keep it vaguely clean um, for, for these ones. Uh, Jack Taplin with Rams halting horns, I thought was was good. Paul Budd, absent Mitro ramifications. Um clever Gavin Megal with Fulham Rue chances Uh, Josh Whitcomb with maybe my favorite of the lot right because it doesn't make sense Um, and his one was just an Alexandro Mitralus um, to which he got a response saying that is bad but I laughed and his response to that was yeah it's really really poor Um, which is exactly how I felt about it but it was funny Uh, Richard Bamber our friend Sol sick of winning which I thought was good Uh, Matt Wall with Marco Rue's rotation um fpl 9000 runs rescue rams um i thought was excellent that's Um, amazing really good wasn't it really really good um but 1986 with win streak ruined very good very Very good good. fantastic Uh, everyone went down the sickness uh path with the three word reviews it gave people a lot of uh ammunition and uh, there was one that was just mitros on toilet actually which is (laughs) hilarious but i can't find it which i thought was genuinely absolutely unbelievable um i just can't find it um (laughs) 
But By yeah, the end of the podcast, so Jack will find it and give you the, uh, the shout out that you deserve. Mitro's on toilet is just absolutely <laughs> unbelievable. Like, that's very funny. Well done. Your cubicle is terrified. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. Peter, that was a bit of a shock at 6.45. I was in the coat and badge in Putney, um, having a nice pint. I thought, oh, let's, let's look at the lineup. Let's see what's come through. And um, the eyes nearly popped out of their sockets when I saw that uh, Mitro, Kearney and Rodak um, weren't in the starting 11. I guess maybe Kearney I could have foreseen. Obviously, Hector also dropped out, but we expected that one. Tosin Adrobayo, uh coming in after his suspension. Um, and from the sounds of it, Peter, even you were taken surprise. Uh, judging by your reaction on Twitter, this is not something that Marco had uh, alluded to in any of his pre-Derby press conferences. No, um, I'd sort of been aware of something smaller. I didn't think there'd be this many players affected uh, as it transpired. Um, and obviously, no Mitrovic was was a big one. And, and uh, Marco Silva had his pre-Preston press conference just before uh, we've come on this podcast. And Mitrovic was actually one of the last ones um, to sort of go, go down with illness. Um, my understanding was that he, he sort of had a, a fever, uh, high temperature yesterday and, um, and that, that kept him out. So it was sort of a, a, a rumbling process that sort of built up as the, as the week went on. And, and yeah, and then Marek Rodak's situation was, was completely different as well. Um, he was a close contact uh, with someone who tested positive for COVID-19 on his flight back from international duty with Slovakia, which of course is quite a while ago now. And he obviously played against Barnsley. Um, but it was actually Silver clarified today due to EFL protocols that he couldn't play. He was able to train, but he wasn't able to play. Um, Silver said that if the match had started three hours later, then he would have been available. So he would have been available if the game was today, for instance. So, um, right on the cusp of uh, of a sort of an, an isolation period that that needed to be enforced, but yeah, he described that as very strange. It seemed very strange and took a little while to get, get head around uh, get head around that one. But um, he's available anyway for the weekend. But there's still doubts for for the others. But yeah, caused a caused a few shocks. Lots of questions in the press room. And the initial sort of explanation that we got was issues, um, but not disciplinary. <laughs> Um, so, um, that was a reassuring, but, um, obviously the worry is that it was a COVID-19 outbreak, but, um, that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, non-COVID related. News spread, uh, fast. I heard from someone on the bridge that it was norovirus and, uh, some people in the pub were saying COVID. It's amazing how this news just filtrates, um, via the fan base on, on a match day. Uh, when someone on the bridge just gives you that little bit of intel, like, yeah, it's, it's norovirus. And like, oh, heck, how's that? how did you find that out? Within like 10 minutes of lineups coming out, WhatsApp groups are in frenzies and, uh, ITKs are being tapped up all over the place. Um, Jack, considering that we were missing Mitrovic, Kearney and Rodak, and then you realise that Harrison Reed, Harry Wilson and Anthony Robinson had all been affected by this bug, a nil-nil draw against a pretty resurgent Derby County, a brave Derby County, as as you mentioned, is, is actually a pretty good result in the context of it. Yeah, their Derby County, they'll fight to the end, as they they, they told us. Um, I don't know if that means the end of their club or or whatever, <laughs> but you know they they did continue to remind us of that. So fair play to them. Um, first of all, it was Loud Tone FFC with Mitro's on toilet. So uh, congratulations, Loud Tone. Excellent. Thank you. Very very good. Um, yeah, look, it's not a bad result. It's um, 
in in the context of what it was. I actually don't think it's potentially bad result. Full stop. You know, I, I think you know we spoke about what Fulham needed to to go and win the league and get an automatic promotion spot a couple of weeks ago, and we said Fulham needs to average you know, two points a game. And over the last couple of weeks, we've obviously expanded through that very, very heavily. Um, and and I think that obviously you're going to get people going, Derby are bottom of the league. We should always be beating them. But ultimately, if it's not for the points deductions, Derby would be about ninth. So you know, we, we have this kind of sort of vision, I'd suggest, of, of what a team should be based on what they are in the league. And, and normally that's fine, right? Normally that's a very sensible way of dealing with a club over the course of... Uh, over the other season, obviously there's the form table and you've got to take into account ups and downs in, in form. But over the course of a season, you can gen- generally tell how good or bad a club is by where they sit in the table. That's that's why we have league football, right? So, yes, on the on the surface, you go, oh, God, that's a that's a drop point for Fulham. And it was, look, bear in mind, Fulham yesterday played, it, it, I wouldn't say deserved fully a win. I, I think that's probably a little bit far, but... I would argue had the clearer cut chances with a better yeah. side. Uh, the XG, I'd imagine, is through the roof in terms of wh- where, what Fulham should have scored and uh, compared to what Derby was. Now, Tom Lawrence had two opportunities that he should have done better with. Uh, Gazaniga made a couple of good saves. Another one from Jason Knight right at the death, obviously. Um, but on the whole, I think Fulham had the better opportunities. And especially, you know, you look at the, the Mooney's header, no idea how that didn't cross the line. Uh, and if you see the yeah. replays of how close it came to crossing the line, um, we will we will forever be in, in that moment. You know, hit the post twice. That was That's where we are. Are. And you know, sometimes you have those days where it doesn't quite fall for you. And and ultimately, with with all the things in context and where we're at, then then yeah, it's, it's not a particularly poor point. Bournemouth drop points as well. You've got to put it in that context, right? So you you've got to put it in the context of the teams around you. Yes, it's an opportunity missed to to pull away from the pack again. But considering the Bournemouth drop points, the West Brom drop points, it, it, there's nothing wrong with, with picking up that point and moving on again, as long as it's not something that that becomes a, a, a regular pattern. And I think considering the, the Fulham squad outbreak and, and the fact that there was so many players who looked, they were, look, Harry Wilson didn't look himself. Um, now, he didn't look himself against Cardiff either. So I did come to the hasty conclusion that he just hates playing against teams that he used to play against. Um, you know, it, it very much <laughs> felt Benzema and uh, Vinicius Jr. a year ago. I swear in my life he's playing against us. Um, <laughs> but on the whole, you know, you have those moments where in the context of him being ill, that's far easier to to, to stomach without no pun intended um then then perhaps it would be without it so yeah look we take the point we move on yeah i was the same with anthony robinson i was really getting wound up by his play last night and then i find out he's ill and i'm like oh fair play mate you actually put in 90 minutes when you'd been ill this week i i just respect that you were able to um to get on the pitch and uh and and perform peter i thought that fabio carvalho was fantastic Last night, he was back to his best. He was at the centre of everything good we did. How he didn't get on the score sheet, I will never know. He had shots that went just wide. He hit the post. He uh, forced a couple of good saves out of Keller Roos. So I, I just thought it was Fabio Carvalho just showing us what he's about. Some of the strength that he has as well. He's able to hold off midfielders that are twice his size and he just he can either dribble past you or he can hold off the ball he's so intelligent I, I thought actually it was maybe one of his better performances I've seen in a Fulham shirt and you know he didn't get on the score sheet didn't create an assist but actually he was he was really relied on last night maybe in the absence of Mitrovic more of that onus fell on him 
Yeah, no, he was he was excellent. He was very good against Barnsley as well. And I completely agree. I think most of what was good about Fulham when going forward went through him. Um, I felt the midfield lacked a bit of energy. Um, and I think the build-up in general wasn't particularly good. But it, the, the one player who, who was making things happen was Fabio. And um, I think even in the Barnsley game, I think what, what stood out in that in that one for me anyway was his work rate off the ball. And obviously with all the talk about his contract and, and everything else, you know, um, wanting to see that kind of commitment makes, makes a, quite a difference. And this, this was one of the things that made him, you know, has helped him push him into the first team. It was a fact that his work rate and, um, and his, his off the ball pressure and, and, and that kind of thing is, is really appealing to coaches. He's not just that diminutive number 10 looking to create things. And, and that's all he does. He's a much more modern, um, dynamic player in, in that position, and yeah, and, and against Derby, he was he was lively. He was knitting things together. He was trying to force the issue. Didn't have his shooting boots on. I think he will probably lament a couple of those chances, particularly second half. There was one that was well saved by by Roos, who he did have a good game and goal. But um, you know, it's, it's a learning experience for him. And I, I think to to play the way that he did, it, his his in game intelligence and, and things like that, you can you can see very clearly that the quality that he brings to the side and um you know and I, I think I wrote this on on my piece for, for Monday morning but you know he no matter those those sort of questions no matter that sort of uncertainty if he is playing like this in this kind of form it's hard not to include him in the team because he, he does have that kind of impact on matches this isn't new but I absolutely love the way that Fab runs across players he's got this incredible change of direction and I don't mean that in the style of sort of shifting your hips and beating a player in the way that a Cabano might right it's the way that he runs with the ball and he crosses the paths of players he invites yellow cards so like if you run it he's running across you on an angle you can't get near the ball because he's got it on the outside of of his body and the defender is basically invited to clip him and a clip like that with no intention of playing the ball is a, is a yellow card every single time. And that's an amazing skill. It's something that, that Jack Grealish has a little bit in that the way he moves the ball is a little bit like sometimes you think he's taking a heavy touch, but it's always into space. Um, and, and it basically does it at an angle that invites tackles, invites fouls. Cav has exactly the same thing. Um, and he, he looks at the way that he, he's kind of doing these things and he looks at the way that the pitch is set up. He's got an unbelievable understanding of space, time, and the way that he can move and shift the ball to, to kind of take, make the most of those spaces. And for someone who's not, he's quick, obviously, but he's not like, oh, wow, he's rapid. It's not like when Anthony Robinson gets going and you're going, wow, this this boy can shift. He, Fab almost seems to be quicker with the ball, which is something I always said about Lionel Messi. And I'm not comparing them right before I get someone on my back saying, you know, Fulham, this podcast compare Fabio Carvalho to Lionel Messi. But the way that he moves and is quicker when he has the ball at his feet is a very messy trait. And I think the way that he uses those angles and uses his body to shift away from players without necessarily having to do skills or step overs or, you know, shifts of his body or feints to get away from players is unbelievably impressive for someone so young. He's just a delight to watch. Did I hear you call him the Lambeth Lionel? Is that, um, that, that's something I definitely heard you coin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was me. That was me. Full and podcaster. <laughs> yeah. The Lambeth Lionel. Jesus. I mean, I, I was trying to think of that. The, <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll stick maybe with Preston Southend. I should have retired undefeated. Um, the Lisbon Leo. 
Oh yeah, very good, very good, much better. Uh, Jack, I just wanted to get your thoughts on Rodrigo Muniz last night. I thought he grew into the game. I thought first half he was a little bit rubbish, but maybe understandable given the lack of football he's played. But I thought second half he really grew into it. It was a difficult assignment against Curtis Davis and Phil Jagielka. And look, I know they they have the aggregate age of about 106, but they are wily championship defenders who just kind of knew how to deal with the inexperienced runs and movement of, of Rodrigo. But second half, I don't know if it was a small tactical tweak from um, Marco or whatever, but Rodrigo just seemed to be in the game much more, seemed to be much more dangerous and was causing them a few issues. And look, if he has to play against Preston and Preston centre-backs are not quite as impressive as Curtis Davis and Phil Jagielka, I would back him to actually start making a, a much more of an impact in goal in front of goal than he did last night. I mean, if he'd have scored that bicycle kick, then... I mean, I would think he might have got a mural outside the ground. It would have been that good. A Rodrigo mural. Um, yeah, it, it would have. It would have been great. He he still should have headed it. Like he should have headed it. Or left it, it for was, Cabano, who had no, a free, no, who is. Like, it, it, it was it was there to be headed. Head it. Um, but you know what? You you can't take the Brazil out of the boy, and 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 maybe in years to come we'll uh, we'll come to love that. So it's it, you know it's something that we're going to see. He's he's raw, right? He's really raw. He's very very young. And I saw a couple of people make Kamara comparisons, right? And while I can see where people are coming from in, in, in that kind of rawness of physicality, the fact that the way his, his body moves and his limbs move are a bit all over the place. You know, I, I can see where people are coming from. I actually think that when we signed Kamara, you know, it's, it's easy to forget he was pretty much the same age as Mitrovic. He was, you know, he, he did act like he was a 19-year-old coming through, right? Rodrigo is a youngster coming through and learning his trade and has moved from a very provincial level of Brazilian football, really, where he had most of his minutes to to come into a ch- the championship, which is a difficult and direct league, right? The, the, there is that to consider. Rodrigo Muniz is nowhere near the finished product. He's great value. He's great fun. You can see that the players love having him around. You can see that they're, they're really, really you know keen for him to, to improve, to get better, to work. And he is doing that. And the fact that you know, he, he was a bit like a jack-in-the-box and, and kind of all over the place and everywhere and trying to do everything is, you know, kind of part of that agreement. That's what you get with raw players coming through and you need to give them some time to find that composure, to find that ability. There's definitely talent there. I think you can say that second half was impressive. We also didn't hugely play to his strengths. We played to him especially in the first half, as if he was Mitrovic. There was a lot of giving him the ball with back to goal, you know, asking him to back up against the centre-backs and, and, and lay off passes. He's not been great at that at any point during what we saw yesterday, but even in his previous appearances, what he is good at is getting on the end of crosses, on, on flicks, being in and around the box. He's a poacher, you know. He he does feel like that kind of get the ball in the area and hope that he, he makes the right decision. He's not even, a you know, the first half, we saw him run into the box, chasing the ball, get round the defender, and sky into the stand. But that doesn't feel like the kind of striker he is either. You know, this is someone who you want in and around the six-yard box and create chance for them. And I thought our crossing was poor last night. Really, really poor. And that definitely didn't help him in terms of, you know, if you've got a new striker coming in, you've got someone trying to step up into the role that is such a big one, considering how Mitrovic has played this season, you've got to try and play to their strengths. And I don't think that Fulham did that to a particularly good degree last night. I think with with Muniz, I completely agree with Jack about his all-round play. You can see there are still lots of rough edges to that, and, and particularly in terms of his hold-up play. And I guess, you know, when we're looking at a game 
where everyone's thinking can can Fulham play without Alexandra Mitrovic and and yeah for sure there was there wasn't the cutting edge but to be honest on a different night two or three of those go in um, take the, the header for it's cleared by Curtis Davis for instance I think the the bigger thing was actually Mitrovic's link up play and I think that really particularly first half. Um, hindered Fulham quite a bit. There were a couple of moments where Tim Reams got the ball and he's looking to, to to bring it forward to try and break between the lines. And normally at that point, you would get Mitrovic sort of dropping off, dropping out into the space, either to receive or, or to not. Um, and Muniz was not quite on those wavelengths, was not quite up to the same speed with that. And I think that actually made quite a, a big difference to the way the whole team were playing. And, and to be honest, everyone was a bit sluggish, so it's, it's easy to pick out one thing. But I guess that's one element that he'll be he'll be working on. But you can see his quality. I mean... For all, the, for all those rough edges, there's the moments of fantastic technique. Like the bicycle kick itself was struck so cleanly, yeah. so well-timed. Um, there's clearly a player in there. It's just a case of of building that up and and, and, find, and him adapting as well. You know, he is, he is very young and um, wouldn't, wouldn't worry too much about that. And, and as Jack says, the, the service wasn't, wasn't the best. Um, but yeah, I think in, in a game where, you know, we're looking at Mitrovic, what does Mitrovic bring? I think that side to his game probably stood out more for me than necessarily the, the finishing side. Yeah, if you haven't seen the um, Hawkeye uh, replay of Muniz's header, which is cleared off the line by Curtis Davis at the time in the Hammersmith end, I, th- I remember thinking, that's a bit optimistic, Rodrigo. It doesn't go anywhere near. It's so close. We're talking millimetres. It did make me laugh, though, that he's going to the linesman and the linesman has been like, We've got goal line technology, mate. Like, yeah. like, like, and he's like screaming at him for a good minute. Liner's like, mate, I, d- I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> like, Rodrigo, I mean, <laughs> Rodrigo would have seen Aston Villa, Sheffield United a few years ago, and knows that there's flaws in the system, and it's 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 worth chancing. You're right. I mean, it always happens with goal line technology. Now, it's in your natural instinct as a footballer to appeal that, like, it's definitely gone in, and and I think that it still hasn't quite fed through to the players. There's no point. Literally zero point appealing. It's on his watch it's a goal or it's not, but you've got to admire him. It's the enthusiasm. He's 20. And that's, that's part of why we love him. And, and it's nice. Although obviously it wasn't ideal for Mitrovic to be injured last night. I think it was a byproduct that actually he was able to get his first 90 minutes. He'd have been nervous. It was a big moment for him to get his kind of first league start like that. And, and he's got it off his back now. And if he does have to start against Preston, then I'm, I'm hopeful he'll, uh, he'll he'll deliver. I mean, ultimately Peter with Bournemouth drawing with West Brom drawing as well, it's kind of as you were at the top of the league um and it maybe as jack said it was a bit of an opportunity maybe to open up a gap but in the circumstances a point against a derby side that has drawn 10 games this season they are draw specialists they've drawn by far the most in the league uh, only lost five times it's just one of those results that for me happens and you cannot expect us to win every single game a seven game winning streak is still an incredible achievement. Does it break records? No, but will that be beaten quickly? I don't think so either. No, I don't think it will either, Sammy. I think, you know, we we, we talked a bit, bit about Derby and, and how good, I thought they were very, very impressive and I don't, don't want to linger too much on them, but in terms of how Rooney had them set up, in terms of the way they pressed, obviously Fulham weren't at their sharpest, but, you know, they, they were quite aggressive in the way they played and Fulham were happily willing to, to make mistakes and, and they took advantage of them. And, and then that resilience, you know, you could see the experience of Davis and, and Jagielka at the back. I thought they were excellent. Um, I mean, apart, aside from the the, uh, the anger that Jagielka got when he when he went down. I mean, when I looked at the replay, I thought it was actually quite a, quite a strong challenge from Onoma, but um, he was down for a, quite a while. Um, 
But yeah, I, I think in the context of everything, in the context of results elsewhere, you know, the, the cushion that Fulham have built from this from this run of wins um, is huge. Um, we've seen what Slavisa Jukanovic got sacked today um, of West of Sheffield United, twenty points off, and, and Fulham are in a really good position you know, in terms of squad, in terms of position in the table. Bournemouth themselves are in a bit of a, a bit bit of a blip at the moment. Um, their performances, I know they picked up a draw against Millwall, but the performances I haven't really been matching. Um, the level that they'd set themselves earlier in the season. So, you know, the fact that Fulham didn't concede, barely, barely conceded any chances as well, despite everything else that's going on, is a is also an important feather in the cap. And um, you know, you look to Preston, and, and and it'd just be a case of trying to get back into to winning ways. But you know, it's a long season. It was interesting actually. Silver today brought up the fact that they've got the sharp turnaround, which is you know a classic Championship thing. The uh, the manager um, complaining about. Um, the, the amount of time players have to recover for recovery and I think that'll be more acute in these next couple of days particularly if you've got players who from the sounds of it didn't you know weren't too great after the game the ones that were ill you know felt it a lot more than they would normally having to do a recovery session or recovery period of uh, what less than a little over 72 hours isn't it so um We'll be interesting to see how Fulham responds against Preston, um, and, and and whether they the, those sort of cobwebs, that sort of sluggishness, can can continue in um, trying to break that would be quite a, quite a challenge. But in terms of context, yeah, really good position. Um, speaking of the referee, I forgot to mention this. I was losing my crap in uh, in stoppage time. Um, Bob Kane tweeted us saying, talking of those theatrics, thought ref Stroud had a poor game last night. Baffled me twice by returning possession to Derby after stopping the game for injuries when we were in possession. What happened in injury time? Like, Phil Jackie, I, I mean, maybe Peter, you had a slightly better um, guidance on the timings. But Phil Jagielka felt like it went down about halfway through injury time. And then there was at least two minutes left. Surely, surely to God. He then just blew the whistle. The ref was like, oh, we're done. We're done here, lads. The game's over. I mean, we, weren't score- we weren't scoring at that <laughs> point anyway. It was all over, but I was in the stand livid. Game management, that from the old boys, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> I, was, really I, was, was. I was furious too, but it just, you know, ultimately back into today and be like, I'd probably want Tim Ream to do the same in his situation. Uh, did you have any idea on the timings, Peter, or were you just... We were definitely into the, the last minute. We were definitely into the last minutes, I mean, oh, about 100%. Yeah, well, it was about 90 seconds, wasn't there? So, I mean, yeah, he, he did blow up quickly, but he's an old boy ref, isn't he? So get home quick, get a cup of tea. It's just the way it goes, sadly. Joe Gielka knows the game. Yeah, it was... It, look, it, it, by that point, you felt like when we went into the stoppage time, sometimes you sense a last-minute winner. I didn't sense a last-minute winner yesterday. I thought Tony Knockout was going to score from 35 yards. Yes, it was interesting to see him yesterday, Jack. And I mean, in so many ways, it felt like a classic knockout performance. A lot of half, a lot of puff, not loads of end products, but also was sharper than I thought a man that barely kicked a football on a pitch um, all season, barring the cups. I thought he was all right. Yeah, I thought he was all right too. I've seen I've seen some some kind of negative reviews about him. I, I didn't think he was great, but he also has barely played any football whatsoever. I didn't. He made a couple of cl- uh, cute passes that I thought were the, the right decisions. He didn't make, actually, that's that's the point, isn't it? He didn't make the wrong decision, which he does quite often, very often in this game, I thought. And that that in itself is, is a positive, right? He, he played the right passes. He didn't like 
you know, do anything wildly stupid. The only thing that I thought was obviously there was that Seri pass that went out of play behind him. Um, in that obviously he's slightly different to Harry Wilson in that he doesn't hug the touchline bef- before while he's waiting for the ball. Wilson yeah. obviously gets the ball and comes inside. Knockout was already making the run inside when Seri passed it. And I think that's just a bit of these two have not played football together, maybe ever. Um, yeah. you know, and then there's a little bit of the, the wavelengths being wrong. But you know what? I thought he did all right. He, he came on, he ran around, he did, he made the right decisions when he had the ball. Uh, I, I'm not, you know, slated knockout for various things before, but I'm not going to slate him on last night's performance. I thought it was fine. I think compared to the Leeds game, I think the Leeds game was the last time we saw him, wasn't it, in the, in the, in the League Cup, yeah. where he was pretty, pretty terrible. I think he didn't have a good game at all. Um, you know, he, I, th- I, I, I agree. I think he was, it was actually pretty, pretty sharp, pretty tidy. I don't think he put a foot wrong, really, without setting the world on fire. And it's, it was interesting um, asking Silver about him because he, apparently was a player that could well have started the season um but because of injury um just sort of dropped out of favor and he picked up a couple of injuries and then since then has just not been able to to get into the picture ahead of you know, Cabano and Wilson of course who've just become first choice and then there's Cavalero as well who's been above him in the pecking order so um it was it, it what I didn't get the impression that it that he's a player that's just been completely jettisoned and this is just a surprise out of, you know, nowhere. Um, Silver picked a squad of 21 players for for this game because he wasn't sure if others were going to drop out. Um, I think Dominguez Keener was in there, for instance, but Knockout was, was still kept his place on the bench. So, um, yeah, maybe we'll see more of him. And um, one player that uh, made his way onto the bench, uh, Damien Laz, um, American goalkeeper, Peter. I would be lying if I said I know an awful lot about him. Um, it really goes to show the level of how Fabry is considered at the club that he really isn't third choice um, anymore. Do we know anything on on, on Damien? Um, uh, I imagine uh, great to see another full American comes through uh, even if it is just on the bench yeah a 19 year old keeper that was picked up from Chicago Fire he spent a bit of time in the summer I think on, on loan back in back in the States um, the last time I saw anything about Damien Laz he was on loan at North Carolina now he's clearly finished that loan but I didn't hear anything about it until that point so obviously he went off la- the end of sort of last year and I was like oh, okay that's uh, that is what it is and North Carolina are probably second tier USL um, which is obviously a a step down again from from MLS and a step down again from the USL Championship. So it's third tier in America. So it's not a great level of you know uh, 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 football. But equally, you know, to get onto the bench and, and a little bit of faith in him is is probably a good thing. So I play to him. It was good luck. It was good luck, Damien. I mean, there's a there are a few good young players and young keepers that Fulham have. Obviously, George Wickens is at Welton at the moment. Uh, he's been there and then training at Fulham as well. And then you've got the, the two Ashby Hammonds. Tay's currently on loan um, in the National League, and, and and Luca, I'm not sure what the situation was with him because he's been he's been in around the matchday squad for for quite a while. We've seen him with with the keepers. But going back to your your point about uh, Fabri, Sammy, yeah, I mean it underlines his position. I think they Fulham would want to move him on if they could, but quite happy having just, a nice just, ta- having just, a nice time there, yeah. picking up some salary. Yeah. <laughs> in southwest london and kicking a few balls about uh several times a day as i as i said to someone last night someone wants to pay me i have no idea what fabry's on five grand someone wants to pay me five grand a week to not turn up to motspur park catch a few balls kick a few balls into the box yeah i think it's a bit more than that but uh yeah well exactly (laughs) so 
however much. I'll do it for half, yeah. Yeah, I would do that for a grand a week. Grand a week. If you were, I'm kicking balls into the box and catching them, I'm, I'm game. Fulham could just sign me. I mean, I'm terrible, but I, I wouldn't go out on the pitch anyway, so it doesn't really matter. There we have it, mate. Peter, can you make it happen? You've got uh, contacts. I mean, I can't make that happen now. Have a word, have a word, Peter. Yeah, they, they listen to you. you got, it's got to be something you can drop in, even a quick cheeky bribe or something like that. Free subscriptions to The Athletic, something like that. They'll, maybe, they'll bite. That, maybe that'll wash. Yeah, I mean, it's Black Friday, £1 a month. They don't need a free one. It's basically <laughs> free anyway. Right, we're going to take a break there, and then afterwards we're going to discuss Toast and Adorabio. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy James here with Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. And Peter Rutzler. Hello, hello. Just before we get on to toasting, Sammy, I just wanted to give a shout out to Tristan Pocericic um, because last week when we were talking about Serbia and uh, what it meant to Serbia, we basically talked about some of the things that he'd posted online and didn't give him due credit. So I just wanted to correct that because when people post things, you want credit. We want credit when when we do things. And, and basically we... I uh, talked about some of the the issues and things that he'd raised uh, without giving him the credit that he he deserves. So I just wanted to to rectify that at the start of this segment. Uh, so shouts out Tristan at Serbian Tennis seventy seven on Twitter. Um, some really good Fulham stuff, some really good Serbia stuff on there. So if those these things are your jam, you should go and follow. Uh, maybe we should do the uh, the weekly corrections board. Um, I, I'd probably be filling out one most weeks, uh, given some of the things I spout on this podcast. Right, let's come on to Tosin Adarabio. One of the great things that you can read on The Athletic if you subscribe to the Black Friday deal by going to our URL, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod, is Peter's exclusive interview with Tosin Adarabio. And um, I really enjoyed this one, Peter. Fascinating, um, talking about his time at City and why he decided to leave um, some of his um, experiences uh, out in the loan system when he was on loan at West Brom, then out loan on Blackburn. And we learned that he's a bit of a bookworm, but he went out to say uh, that he is not Joe Bryan. Yeah, no, nowhere near Joe, Joe Bryan's level, I think, was uh, the emphasis he, he placed on that. Um, he's reading a book on tax. Yes, yes. Yeah, not not why not my cup of tea. I, I mean, judging from what he was saying about why he reads nonfiction over fiction, it's there'll be some kind of learning process going on there. So, yeah. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I guess he's a footballer. He probably has to pay a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's worth worth being in the know, I suppose. Um, yeah. But yeah, there was that, and um, he, he likes a lot of autobiographies as well. And it, it, I mean, for him, and you you got this impression from him from the interview and I certainly got that speaking to him about his ambition and his determination to almost climb back up that tree if you see what I mean not that he's fallen very far from um from being at City and and, and wanting to get back into the Champions League you know he says it explicitly he wants to that's the level he wants to be at he wants to to get to that height to get to those heights and I think that was sort of reflected in in his reading and the fact that he reads his autobiographies tries to find different things from people and and apply them and you know some some people do that not not everyone does um but he, but he was one of them i was struck though that his favorite book was the alchemist which is a really profound book um mm. it's uh, it's worth reading if you haven't read it um everyone seems to, to take to personal messages and inspiration from it it's an uh, international bestseller and uh, would recommend myself um and yeah he, he took that and he, he he said he was uh, religious as well there's quite a spiritual element to that book so that was a quite an interesting quirk to go with the uh to self-learning all about self-improvement was the uh, the essence would you recommend that to me peter i've not read the alchemist well i could see very- from your your face that you didn't have any idea what i was on about so yeah no definitely I'd recommend it to anyone yeah yeah 
Okay, I'll pick it up. I'll let yeah, I'll, Fulhamish, I'll give Fulhamish you a review. Book Club, <laughs> Fulhamish Book Club uh, recommends. I, I, I'll join Peter in, in backing it. Paolo Cella is a wonderful author. So, um, yeah, if you get on that, Sammy, it's a, it's a good one. Okay, I, I shall. I, I mean, Jack, one thing that's always struck me about Tosin, he's done a few of these interviews when he before he joined. What struck me is his ambition. Um, he, he, he quite clearly said that he was moving from Man City, but he didn't anticipate moving down from that level for long. And when you look at the kind of England setback situation and some of his peers who have started from the kind of same heights that he is now. And, and and my obvious answer would be like someone like Tyron Mings, who was in the second tier not too long ago and now is a fairly regular player in the England camp. And players like Connor Cody were in the championship three or four years ago. He's got to look at some of those players and think, I can reach those heights. I can scale this up. And to me, I think that he has got the potential to get that far without wanting to put undue pressure on him but it sounds like it doesn't matter what pressure I put on him it sounds like he puts a lot of pressure on himself yeah I mean like you can just say that further right he spoke quite a lot of, in the interview about centre-backs he admires and he spoke about John Stones right who obviously started EFL at Barnsley and and, and came through in, in in that system and then you look at I mean I, Tyron Mings I think you can you can take or leave as far as I'm concerned hmm. but but if you were looking at someone in that Villa squad who you think has made that step up from championship and I think has been absolutely exquisite at Premier League level um, is Esri Konsa who, who I think is phenomenal and, and interesting Interestingly, on that, obviously, Konza has his own dilemma to, to make about uh, international selections being available for, for Portugal and England. And, and Tosin has a similar decision to make, whether he wants to represent England or he wants to represent Nigeria. So there, there's a lot there I think you can take. But look, there's plenty of centre-backs playing top level in in. in the, in England and beyond, right, who who have been in the championship not very long ago and who are now, you know, making waves at both Champions League, international level, who, who can make those steps. And I have no doubt whatsoever uh, that Tosin could well be on the same path. I think he's a wonderful footballer. I think he was a little bit rusty yesterday, to be perfectly honest with you, although he made a couple of lovely challenges. Um, I thought his passing was just a wee bit off, but that'll come back. And I think, look, if he continues to perform at this level, Fulham get promoted, he spends another the year in the Premier League kicking onwards and he spoke about the fact that last year was a bad year for the club etc etc and it was but he said he thought he did okay individually in terms of trying to to make things right and and, and defending and doing the right things at that end of the pitch and it's hard to disagree with him in in, in many ways isn't it the, you look at the the things that sent Fulham down last year and it wasn't you know, that we were defensively a mess. It was that we didn't score enough goals. And and Tosin will say, look, that, you know, I tried to do my best to do my part. And you can look at Jakim Anderson and say similar, right? So I think it's only a matter of time before Tosin goes on to be a Champions League level defender. Um, again, obviously he's had a Champions League game under his belt at this point, um, but a regular Champions League defender again. And and look, I think, we, I think we'll get there. But I think the first steps are, and he seems to be really, really on this, is you know, stay, stay in your lane, stay on that, on that moment where you feel like you're moving in the right direction. He says he feels like at the moment he's moving in that direction. And, and I expect him to be here for another year, year and a half at least. Um, but you can understand his ambitions because he does feel like a player of that caliber of that quality. I mean, Peter, he talked about, um, 
the impact that Marco Silva's had. He also talked very um, highly about Scott Parker and Matt Wells and and the the coaching that they did last year. But he was very very complimentary about Marco Silva and the style of play um, that Fulham adopts. Said it suits his style. Um, he also waxed lyrical about John Mikel Seri. Um, I enjoyed some of this part. Yeah, no, he did. Um, I, I I was sort of asking because you know it was very interesting just bringing out from him you know, his battle style of play, where's that come from? Where do you develop it? Obviously he's been at City, but you know, it doesn't just happen. And he talks about a specific period after injury where he really focused on his technique with, with Christian Welch. He's a co- uh, Christian Wilson, sorry. He was a coach at uh, Crystal Palace uh, now under Patrick Vieira. Vieira is another coach he'd worked with um, and how that just sort of improves his technique and how much he enjoys playing with the ball um, and, it, and his long passing his short passing and, and how he in, enjoys that side of the game, which, you know, for all central defenders these days at the highest level, you've got to be a fantastic ball player. Um, you know, and as Jack mentioned, you know, when you've got John Stones and Vincent Company and, and players like that ahead of you, then, you know, you're going to learn some some good stuff. Um, but yeah, I was just, it was a case of bringing that out and then saying, well, how do you compare to to John, John Mikel Seri? And uh, he sort of laughed it off by uh, by by saying that uh, Mikel Seri is a completely different level. Um, so reinforcing everything that most of us are seeing on a on a on a, on a daily basis, but um, I think I think Jack's right, and I think you know when you look at how he did last year in terms of uh, his performances, the, the the central defensive partnership, and I think defense in general became Fulham's strongest point. There was a really good period in the middle of the season where you know Fulham weren't conceding; they were hardly conceding any chances either, um, and that was down mainly to to the way the defense was organised and, and particularly. Uh, Tosin and, and, and Anderson who were, were key to how the team played going forward and it's easy to forget that Tosin was playing left-sided centre-half um, when he's right-footed and he, he did speak about that um, which I don't think was in the interview but he did he did speak about how it's more comfortable being now on the right-hand side and he thinks that's you can see that a little bit more in his game because the left isn't a natural position you have less in terms of the pitches you can see um, when, when you've received the ball and you're opening out um, so I think that's you know, Anderson got his move to, to Crystal Palace um, and Anderson did fantastically for Fulham. I think we we, we can all agree on that. And um, But I don't think to- Tosin was, was exactly far off either. So um, it will be interesting to see what, what happens going forward. But as you mentioned, Sammy, he's enjoying playing under Silver because he suits that style of play. It's very forward thinking and it allows him to to play those passes and to and to orchestrate the game and uh, link up with, with Serik. Well, if you want to read the article, again, it's on The Athletic, theathletic.com forward slash Fulham pod, one pound a month for 12 months uh, if you want to sign up to The Athletic. Right, we're going to take a break and we're going to preview Preston on Saturday. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast, Sammy here with Peter and Jack looking ahead to Preston on Saturday. And we've got some emails as well coming up from you guys in a second. And um, Peter, you alluded to it earlier in the podcast. It's another one of those tight turnarounds for Fulham. It feels like we've had it a few times this season where we've played Wednesday night. Then we've got the Saturday lunchtime. Obviously, uh, my memory of um, Coventry away uh, is still Roar in the memory. Uh, this one feels like a really, really tricky game, even without the illnesses that are currently in the squad. It's it's impossible to predict really who's going to play. Yes, um, I think that it, it will. I mean, from the from the guys who who did play, you'd assume that they'd be at least within contention, but it's just a case of how they've responded from the game and, and Silver. 
Silva said that the situation hadn't worsened in terms of people, but that the players themselves didn't feel great after the game, as, you, as you'd expect. And because there is that tight turnaround, um, that it does throw those 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 questions out there. And um, obviously, with Mitrovic not in the squad at all, you just have to hope that his wasn't it wasn't too serious at that point. That um, that means that he may not be available either. So. Yeah, very hard to predict, very hard to prepare, I think is the is the key point. Um it was the same going with, with Derby in terms of if you want if you've got a set eleven that you want to use and it can be hard to 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 really prepare for, for the game ahead. And, and Preston are are not certainly not an easy easy side to face. Uh they beat Middlesbrough away last time out, I think. Uh, that's right. Yeah, yeah midweek. Um, and they've also beaten Bournemouth this season. Um so they were the first team to beat Bournemouth, actually, weren't they? So yeah. Frankie McAvoy's made them a very hard team to beat, uh, tactically very good. I think they're quite pragmatic in the way they set up. So um, they'll certainly pose for them some 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 questions and and yeah, and it would just be a case of, of, of what kind of frame of mind Fulham are in. They they travel up tomorrow, so there'll be a question of you know, at that point they should have a better picture. One thing I did think was surprising yesterday, Jack, is that if Anthony Robinson had the bug and and I thought that Anthony Robinson you know, struggled yesterday. I don't know if it was necessarily down to that or just generally had a bad game. But with Joe Bryan on the bench, also you mentioned about how our, some of our crossing yesterday was quite poor. If it is Mooney's again, I would have thought that would be quite a sensible change. A, Anthony Robinson's played 90 minutes, clearly not at full match fitness. And B, Joe Bryan's crossing is also very, very good and might be a bit more up Muniz's street. So that's one change that I could foresee if if I was Marco Silva. But again, a bit, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit into Anthony Robinson's condition here. Yeah, I mean, look, we've, we, we've said this on numerous occasions this season and you know, there, there's a reason that Silva seems to seems to really like Robinson, trust him, and have him as his first choice left back. Right? There's been calls for rotation in that left back spot across a couple of games, and 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 most of the time, Silva's resisted. Obviously, we've seen JB in a couple of uh, a couple of games, a couple of appearances, and he's not made a fool of himself, has he? So he, you know, he, he's definitely in the rotation, but. There's clearly a, a kind of pecking order that Silva has, and and Robinson is at the top of it right now. So there's there's that element that he wants to keep his squad together, his team together, a team that's been on a remarkable winning run up to yesterday night. You know, you can't can't knock what he's doing, and he seems to have full faith that Anthony Robinson has the capability to do that. Now, if there is an enforced change by injury, then he knows he has a reliable deputy in Joe Bryan to step into that spot uh, and, and try and fulfil it. But ultimately, it's going to be a question of whether he thinks that Robinson is fit. And if he does think that Robinson is fit and able to do 90 minutes, I wouldn't be surprised whatsoever to see him play another 90. Yeah. Uh, and Jack, uh, for, for Preston, four wins in the last seven for them, including yeah. um, those impressive wins that Peter mentioned um, against Bournemouth. They obviously won away uh, at Middlesbrough, um, even beat Coventry a few weeks ago, who have been um, flying pretty high of, of late. I think this is a really, really tricky game. We've got a fairly good record up at Preston, actually. Um, and, and obviously great memories of that 2-1 win in the uh, Slav promotion season where Mitrovic scored in the final minute that was an absolutely glorious one um but i just I, this smells like a really really difficult game one of those that fulham will just have to get over the line this is possibly not going to be a, a three four goaler like we've been used to a bit like last night this is about trying to just get some points by hook or by crook it's not necessarily about trying to blow the team away like we've been used to in the past kind of couple of months 
Yeah, absolutely. And and under Frankie McAvoy, they've been playing that 3-4-1-2 system that caused us problems earlier in the year, right? I mean, I feel like I keep going back to this and thankfully it hasn't caused us too many problems of late. Um, but we know that it has upset Fulham and upset the apple cart there. And interestingly, it's been Alan Brown playing in the kind of one. Now, obviously, Alan Brown is not the most creative player on earth, Um but he is an absolute workhorse, an engine in there, and he will look to shut down the creative hub at the bottom of the, the Fulham midfield in, in John McElserry um, and, and, and try and stop Fulham playing it out in the in the rhythm that we have done. That's what's going to happen. Whether he can achieve that or not is a different question. Seri, as we know, is a very, very good footballer and he's been able to escape presses through the season. But we've also seen how Fulham can be held back when we're not able to play out of that midfield pivot. And Coventry is the obvious example. And obviously, Seri didn't play that game. Um, but he, you know, we, we struggled to get out of our own midfield. And, and ultimately, that was due to so much of the work of Callum O'Hare at 10 and, and the fact that there was no space to be able to explode out. Now, what we've seen from Preston of late is, is Tom Barkheisen playing right wing back um, and, and getting forward. So their system tilts a little bit to the right to, to get Barkheisen into those areas that he can cause damage. And he's a player that we've long admired on this podcast. So uh, I, I'm not going to go fully into, into what he brings to the table. But, you know, with, with Shawnee Maguire up the top there and, and Jakobsen, who's, who seems to be finding some sort of rhythm now uh, in this side uh, they're, they're dangerous and there are players here who can cause Fulham problems in a system that has caused Fulham problems in the past I'm with you I don't think this is going to be easy by any stretch of the imagination no uh, Jakobsen with, with eight goals and two assists this season he clearly seems to be the main source of uh, of Preston's attack uh, this year uh, Peter it's a it's a difficult trip on um, on Saturday uh, I no doubt you'll be heading up but a 12.30 up in the northwest is uh it's a pretty brutal one, isn't it, for for the Fulham hardcore? I think over a thousand fa- Fulham fans heading up to this one, so so fair play. Yeah, brutal, brutal. It was an early one for me. I'll be up early on the train, not staying over. So uh, yeah, nice and early. Um, and I see everyone on the train. I suppose it's yeah. It, it's, these fixtures are very frustrating. Uh, I mean, the, the, there was one that came out the other week about Bournemouth's trip to uh, Middlesbrough, which is coming up, uh, which is a lunchtime kickoff and. The, the departure times for their sort of supporter coaches are hideous. They're about one in the morning, two in the morning. Um, we're sort of we're accustomed to it now, aren't we? And it's it's not really very acceptable. But um, yeah, I think they're yeah for supporters, it's they're always the sort of the last to be considered. But even even with the you know as we were talking about earlier in the podcast, you know it's the players as well that don't want these sort of tight turnarounds. So, um, but yeah, Fulham will have to make the best of it, and I'm sure we'll make the best of the day out as well. Yeah. Uh, some emails uh, for the end of the podcast. I'm enjoying doing emails on a Thursday. Uh, there's been something about it in the last few weeks. It's been enjoyable to uh, read some of them out. Hello at fullamish.co.uk if you ever want to get in touch. Uh, this one from Will. I think this is mostly going towards Jack, but you can both have an opinion on this. Uh, he says, hope you're all well. As always, big fan and a keen listener to the pod. He said, I'm sure you all saw that Ryan Babble has released his autobiography as a rap album. At the end of his interview, Babble spoke about his love for Fulham and wanting to come back and help. My question is, given that he probably wouldn't make the team at the moment, can we imagine a role for him as Fulham's official musical soundtrack provider? And if that job were to exist, which other former players would the podcast nominate to produce a musical autobiography of their time at Fulham? Dempsey being the immediate player who springs to mind. I hope you weren't expecting a serious question about tactics, current players or promotion rivals. Thanks, Will. I mean, questions that are up Jack Collins' street, this. 
Yeah, no, obviously I'm I'm intrigued, and also the idea of releasing your your life story as a, as an album is is good vibes. Um, I don't know, you know, it's, it's a really really interesting one, and I'd love to love to find out more. So I'm I'm, I'm going to have to go and do some digging for Will. Actually, I think uh, on this one, I think we're gonna next week we'll come up with you know a serious answer of who would you know be putting together maybe a five man team to to work on the on the musical exploits of how this club would go forward. So um, let me get back to you, Will, but I am intrigued by this question. I'm trying to think of a few other musical players, really. Oh, Dempsey and and Babel are the obvious two you know is there an equivalent of dion dublin you know has any fulham players ever invented their own instrument i mean look the 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 jube is 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 one of the great creations of 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 life (laughs) right so so we go from there but um but off we go right it's um it's one of those things we'd have to think about uh jason um responded to a call to action on sunday's podcast um farrell said he's going to nashville uh over winter and uh, was asking if there's any nashville listeners um you know, to get in touch to watch a game with him. And Jason said, if Farrell is interested in meeting up with some supporters in Nashville or any of y'all want to watch the games with us online, just let us know up the Fulham. So we found Farrell some supporters in Nashville. Um, this is the aim to find Fulham supporters in any city. Um, I'm going to like say any in Ushuaia, Argentina, maybe next, you know, just let's just throw random cities out there into the mix and see if anyone lives there. Uh, this one was just a really heartfelt one that I, I felt like I really wanted to, look, to read from Tom he said at Fulhamish pod I've been having a tough time lately not even enjoying Fulham too much I was listening to the pod on my way home from work and when you sounded the horn I was at a red light I turned up the volume and burst into hysterical laughter for a good minute thank you Thomas all the best to you hope things pick up for you and I'm glad that the silly horn uh, brought you some joy and I'm sorry that I'm not allowed to play the horn today but the rules are the rules we need to be top of the league with three plus consecutive wins so do you know what if we beat Preston and Bournemouth, I will bring back the horn. If we beat, you know, I will break my own rule because that's a technicality. That's so that's the next time that the horn can be played. Um, but yeah, chin up, Thomas. I hope thing gets better for you soon. Uh, finally, this question from Aaron uh, in a section that I'm calling, this will catch on. He said, question for the pod, which is a great listen, by the way. You've mentioned in the post Barnsley podcast that Boa seems to get all the attention with a song, but Marco has nothing. Not sure if other clubs use this song, but I thought the 90s classic, The Weather With You by Crowded House would be perfect. Everywhere you go, Marco, always take the three points with you. Very fitting, unless I've cursed us against Derby. You did. Anyway, would love to see this belted <laughs> out in the hammy end from Aaron. I'm not sure it'll catch on, Aaron. There was, a, like there the was a glad all over, though, yesterday. Yeah, yeah, there was some there was yeah. glad, glad all over, so there's that. Yeah, the glad all over silver chant is catching on. I'm hoping that in a couple of away days, away days are where songs are created and formed. So I'm hoping maybe a Preston Luton and that glad all over for Marco Silva will definitely uh, catch on. Uh, final one, this is a bit of a um, more kind of admin question for Peter, but Tom says, uh, what's the situation with Jay Stansfield? He's performing really well with the under 23s. It was a bit odd not to have a recognised forward on the pitch with Mitro not there. The answer is injury. I'm pretty sure Peter isn't it. Yes, yeah. Silver confirmed he had knee surgery uh, last week, uh, but no, it's not serious. He says so. A few weeks, three to four weeks, um, barring any complications. So, uh, yeah, that's the reason he's not been involved. But he does speak, think really highly of him. He's spoken at length about why he thinks he's a good prospect and a good player going forward. So, yeah, you'll see him 
You can join my dad in the club of people having knee surgery at the moment. Uh, my dad is hobbling around at the moment, trying to work out ways he can get to the uh, Bournemouth game. I'm having to buy him a seat in the aisle so that he can try and go to uh, Bournemouth next week post knee surgery. So it's Jay and Clive who are uh, currently uh, on the uh, on the knee treatment table. Anyway, thank you very much for listening today. Uh, we'll go again on Sunday with some post Preston reaction. Action and we'll see uh, who's got the bug uh, on Saturday. Fingers crossed that it's dissipated by then and most players are, are back to, to full fitness and full health. Uh, Jack, we just need to name the podcast. So what would you like to go with? Well, as much as me chose on toilet did make me laugh, um, I think we're going to have to go with win streak ruined. Um, very, very good. Very, very good. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you went for something um, not rude as well, because um, Farrell chose um, Tyking the Piss uh, for the last podcast. I felt a bit sheepish uh, having to send that to the editors at The Athletic, thinking, will they will they be OK with this? In fairness, they're all vibes. They were like, yeah, go for it. Whatever. I wanted uh, I really liked I wanted something on the vibes of not shit hot. But um, I, I thought that was probably a bit much. Yeah, just really test our <laughs> test the patience of the editors. Just being like, lads, can you stop swearing in every podcast title, please? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, thank you for picking something a little bit more PG there, Jack. A little bit. Uh, easier, and thank you for being on the podcast. No, thank you very much for having me. As always, Sammy, it's always a pleasure. Fun way to spend a Thursday, isn't it? And Peter, thank you very much. No, thank you very much for having me, Sammy. Uh, good luck with the uh, endeavours up to uh, PNE on Saturday. Yeah, it should be fun. Apparently it's going to be cold. So your double thermals are back. Triple thermals. Triple thermals? <laughs> yeah, you're sitting outside for a long time. Maybe Surely at some bit, point... Like, I can't really move around so much. You're sitting there with a laptop. And then, yeah, so. Surely at some point you wear so many thermals that it's like a double negative and it starts making you colder or something like that. Yeah, it's like two socks doesn't work, right? Yeah, you don't do two socks. No, no, no that's, that's, that's amateur that is. Um, although I went to one game last season, uh, two seasons ago in the Premier League, and reporter had an, uh, one of those electric jackets, you know, those warming jackets. So you push a button and it starts warming you. <laughs> I'm not sure that's acceptable, but um, it does seem appealing no. on the when the forecast does sound warm. Does sound warm. Yeah, I, I feel like I don't know if this is part of like. Um, football journalism school, but I feel like football journalists love to talk about ways that they stay warm at the football. Probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've yeah, I've just sort of reaffirmed that, haven't I? So, yeah, going to a football journalism lecture and it's just like today, lesson three fifteen. Um, different electric blankets to keep you warm at Preston on a on a cold Saturday at twelve thirty. Fingerless well, gloves, I- fingerless gloves were recommended you know, during my journalism course. So, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, this so actually there, existed. There I was element. just making it up. And now you confirm <laughs> that this lecture exists. Oh, well, I hope you stay warm uh, on Saturday, Peter. Hopefully, hopefully Mitro can uh, fire a few goals uh, to, to light things up on Saturday. Thank you for listening today. And come on, follow me on Saturday. You whites. You whites. You whites.